and I know a lot of people are enamored of the term bonus mom. I think that's even worse than stepmom because that makes it sound like you're something that the kids wanted mm-hmm. and you're not, you know, maybe booby prize or something. <laughs> you're listening to the Nacho Kids Podcast, where we discuss all things step family related, real stories, real people, real help. Your hosts are the creators of the Nacho Kids Method and the Nacho Kids Academy Step Family Coaching Team, Lori and David Sims. David, David, David. That's my name. Don't wear it out. How you doing? I'm doing good. I'm ready to hear what we have in store today. But before we do that, okay. I'm sure you want to talk about something. What makes you think I want to talk about anything? I might, might want to be nacho You got that look in your eyes like, let's talk about something. Dude, that's just tiredness. That's that what all it you is? see. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I can't think of something. What's that? Let's talk about whether a stepmom can nacho one stepkid and not another. Okay, so the answer is yes, but let's dig deeper. Dig deeper. So if you've got multiple kids or stepkids, then how? why is it that you would feel that you have to nacho either all of them or none of them? To be fair. But it's never fair. Or even honestly, I don't even think that's the right terminology for it. It's not a matter of being fair or not. If you have one kid that's cutting up and going nuts and, and you're punishing them, I'm not talking about the stepkids, but just your like your bio kids, if you punish that kid, you're not going to punish everybody to be fair, right? My mama did. <laughs> you know, now that I think about it, mine did too. Uh-huh. But she like did if, that because if, nobody would fess up, right? Yeah. So my mom used to say, I'm going to tear everybody up. That way I know I got the right one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what my mom would do too. But but on the same on the other side of the coin, so to speak, if somebody is going to be rewarded for something, you don't reward well, you shouldn't reward everybody. You reward the one person. But of course, nowadays everybody gets something. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of like um, when you and I first got married, and your sister would have a birthday for one of her kids, but the other kid got presents too. Yeah, I don't I don't know where that comes from. So the one kid don't feel bad or left out. Yeah. Um, and, and that'll probably be something they'll have to be in counseling for. <laughs> Just like all these kids go to these parties and everybody gets a present now. Yeah. It caused, <laughs> used to, when I was little, kids came to the party, they brought you a little present. Everything's good. Well, now the kid gets a $15 goodie bag to take home with them. I know. That's, that's crazy. Yeah. But anyway, that's a whole different problem. Yeah. So the nacho in one kid and not the other. You know, I had four stepkids, half four. It's not like they gone anywhere. Well, they have, but not really. And I had endless possibilities of who I could nacho on what day. For instance, stepkid number one, I might would nacho him 90% of the time. Stepkid number two, I probably nachoed 30% of the time. Mm-hmm. They're towards the end. In the beginning, I nachoed the crap out everybody. <laughs> everybody. We were better for it, too. <laughs> what? What are you saying? We were better for it. Then when I started re-engaging? You nachoed at the right time for the right reasons for the right length of time. Good job, honey. <laughs> Very proud. So with four stepkids, like I said, it just depended on who I needed to nacho that day. Based off their actions, their lack of engaging with me. Mm-hmm. You know, we've talked about it before. When the kids came in, I didn't even say, hey, because if I said, hey... And two out of the four didn't respond. I'd be mad at those two. Well, I wonder how these people feel when they go to work. Like, do they go to work and they go, I'm going to treat everybody at work the same? 
or do they go to work and say, well, uh, Joe over there, he's got his butt on his shoulders today, so I'm going to stay away from him. But people will say, now, David, that's not realistic. That's your job, not your home. However, <laughs> you at work more than you are home. It seems that way. Isn't it? it is. Well, it's at least equal amount of time. No, it's, your waking hours, you, well, you can't don't count the weekends. All right. So... But it's the same thing. It's, it's still interaction with people. Mm-hmm. So the the interaction with your stepkids versus people that are at your work. I mean, when you really think about it, it's like you do the same thing at work. You you really do decide who at work you're going to engage with or not engage with uh, based on uh, tons of factors. So it's the same thing. Well, it's kind of like, too, I've made the comment before. You don't go into the CEO's office and try to take over their job. So why are you going in as a stepmom trying to take over a parenting job? Bam! <laughs> Mic drop. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right, Dad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe that's the problem is people are trying to... Well, we know that's part of the problem is blended families are trying to be the nuclear family. Well, they're not the nuclear family. They're trying to treat everybody fair and uniform and all that when they don't do that with anybody else in their life. So maybe they should treat the blend as a work environment. <gasps> what do you think? I'm the CEO. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's a good way to put it. The other thing, too, and I've brought this up before, I can't remember if it's on the podcast or not, but I think I have, is that anytime you talk to a stepmom, if you if you ask them, like, when do things start going bad, they'll typically, they'll say, you know, like, right after we got married or right after we moved in or, you know, whatever happens where, where there's a paradigm shift. And so the logical thing to do is then look at what was going on before that. And usually what happens is there was a time before that when people says everything was great. But what what was great about it was that they weren't trying to parent. Mm-hmm. They weren't in that that situation where the expectations were on them to do certain things. They felt like they, quote unquote, earned the ability to do certain things. None of that was there. And because that wasn't there, everything worked better. Mm-hmm. But as soon as they get into the point where there's expectations, the significant other thinks that they should be doing things or they think they should be doing things, all of a sudden things go sideways. Right. Well, some people will say, can you nacho your own kid? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. I mean, it's not to the same extent, right? Because you're still... You still have to take care of them. You're responsible for them still. Right. That's the difference. Right. So stepkids, you're not necessarily responsible for. Um and in some cases, you might be responsible for some things, but not the kid themselves. You're not accountable for that. So there's a we won't go down that rabbit hole, but there's a difference between being responsible and accountable. And uh, for your own kid, though, you are responsible for them and accountable for them. But if they're driving you back crap crazy, asking you the same question 800 times and you've already told them no, then it is okay to not engage in that conversation and to not show them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So that's that's just the easiest way to put it. Just like when you're driving me crazy. <laughs> I don't and I do not show you. I don't drive you crazy. Well, it's interesting because one thing that we talk about with our next guest is when people say they're going to not show their spouse. She has an issue with it. Okay. She doesn't think that that's healthy or that you should. And so we discuss it and I explain to her why I not show you sometimes. You know, if you're trying to push my buttons and I'm just not in the mood and I'm like, I've got to stay away from him or he's going to make me flip, <laughs> then I just not show you. I just stay out of your way. It's no different than if you're grumpy mm-hmm. and stressed out and you come in and I ask you something, you snap at me. I'm like, ooh, ooh I ain't touching that today. Stay away from that. Ooh, spray some raid. Spray some raid. <laughs> yeah, spray some raid. Kill the grump monster. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. 
So let's listen to what Sylvia has to say about nachoing. All right. Well, before we do that, let's hear a word from our sponsor. There is a way to save your sanity and your relationship, and it's called the Nacho Kids Academy. In the Nacho Kids Academy, you will learn the skills and knowledge to properly nacho, techniques to handle stepfamily challenges, ways to improve your communication, and much, much more. Visit NachoKidsAcademy.com and sign up today to join other step parents who are seeing the life-changing benefits of nachoing. Again, that's NachoKidsAcademy.com. Today, we have Sylvia. Hi, Sylvia. How are you? Hi, Lori. I'm doing great. Thank you for asking. Well, tell us a little bit about your blend. How long have you been married and stepkids, bio kids, all the happy stuff? Okay. Um, I am a little bit different than some of the uh, women in the group. I'm a little bit older. uh, And I also don't have any biological children. And I don't have any bad history with marriage. Uh, My husband and I um, have been married for 11 years. We were together for almost four years before we got married. Uh, His children, uh, he has three children and he's divorced, was divorced when I met him. Uh, I'm a widow. So um, as I said, we have a, a little bit of a different blend. My stepchildren now are all grown. When I met them, they were 11. Uh, she, my youngest um, is a girl. She's 11. Uh, the middle uh, child is a, a, my stepson. It was 14 when I met him. And my older stepdaughter was 16 when I met them. Uh, they were, they had been, um, my husband had been divorced for a couple of years and had just recently bought the house that um, I live in now um, that, you know, we, we live in uh, together and the, the children lived in 50-50. So, um, they were not real thrilled to have another person brought into um, their um, second family, so to speak. They had had their intact family that broke up. And then for a few years, they had, you know, just been with their dad. And I think they kind of were in their own little groove and not not real thrilled to have a, another person come into this. And, and of course, since I don't have biological children, I didn't really have a lot of experience. Uh, dealing, living with children. So it was, it was a difficult situation. Well, and they were teenagers too. Right. Yeah. That was not fun. Definitely not fun. My, my younger, the youngest one took an instant dislike to me and um, the middle, my, my stepson, I've never had a problem with. He and I have always gotten along pretty well, but the older one was 16 and that is just a wicked age, particularly for girls, I think. And um, yeah, they were teenagers and they were all, and, and they were children of divorce, which it's very easy for us to focus on ourselves and on our, uh, our community of, of stepmothers as we should, but we often forget these are children. They're, they're broken children whose uh, families were shredded and um, yeah, they were, they were not happy campers. Yeah. And whether we like to realize it or not, the stepmom signifies that more than likely their bio parents will not get back together. That is so, absolutely. That is such a, a, a brilliant insight. I think that when I came into the picture, and it's the stepmom that does it, for some reason, I don't know if uh, uh, the media or for some reason, you know, maybe they think men come and go. But when the woman comes and, and you know, dad has someone, all of a sudden they realize, because their mother was hooked up first, 
And that did not seem to have the impact that me just dating their father. It was all of a sudden that their family of origin was never getting back together again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know why, but you're right. It's like with the stepmoms. It's like that is the thing that's keeping the family apart from getting back together, regardless of if she was married to somebody else before. Right. Yeah. It's it's just that was such a brilliant insight, Lori. I, I I hadn't thought about it before, um, but uh, so I should probably think about it more before I talk about it. But that's not my way. Uh, one thing that just came into my head. I'm wondering if maybe the reason, and it's it's also at the core of some of the problems that we have blending, is that um, say what you want about feminism, say what you want about things changing. Basically, the woman very, very much sets the tone for the household. So when you have a household that's run by a man or run by his children, you it's in flux and it can always change. Whereas when a new woman is in, all of a sudden, everyone has to recognize that, wow, this, this is actually, whether you like it or not, this is a family now. This is a unit now. And it's got a tone, which is for good, bad, or indifferent. The, the woman is the one who, who sets that tone. So maybe that's what it is that just makes stepchildren realize that their families are not getting back together again and that, in fact, they're going to have to learn to deal with this person and that you're not going anywhere. Well, and two, I think women come in and for my instance, I moved in to the home that David and his ex lived in. So, of course, I wanted to make things my way. I wanted to take down all the lighthouse crap and put up, you know, my little sons and whatever it was that I liked to make it feel more like my home. But to the kids, I was removing their mother from their home. Right, right. I didn't have that situation, but um, so I, I really, yeah, I, I sympathize with that. But I had a situation where I moved into a house and it was the house that my husband was sharing with his three children. And as with all of us in houses, you fill up every space. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there, no one sitting there with an empty room saying, gee, I hope someone comes and lives here. Here's a space for you. Uh, so everything that I had to put somewhere meant displacing something that belonged to someone else. So it wasn't their mother but it was, you know, their things or things that they had purchased with their father or just an empty space that they liked. And now it's got this strange woman's junk. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think that's, that's a big part of it as well. I think um, their home, you come into their home, you're an invader. My younger stepdaughter, who is now, um, she's now 26 years old, she actually said for the first time, she said that when um, her father, I lived, we had a long distance relationship. My husband and I, I lived in California and he was uh, in the Midwest. So uh, when he sat down with his children and told them that I was moving here, she said she didn't realize that I was actually moving into the house. She thought I was just moving into the town. And, that, and it, it seems so funny now, but it kind of broke my heart a little bit because she agreed to something not really fully understanding what she was agreeing to. And as I said, it's, it's been all these years later, 15 years later, I never realized that when I came here, it was kind of, oh, you're not going home. You don't know, you're, li- you're going to be living here. It was a, 
a, a life-changing event for her, not in a good way. Yeah, not that you're going to get an apartment down the street and come visit or, yeah, yeah. Right, right. Whereas before we had had a long-distance relationship, I was here. Um, my husband had a my husband had fifty fifty uh, visitation. His his ex wife lived a mile away. They had a very although they parallel parented and didn't communicate with each other. The uh, fluidity uh, of the the children to come and go as they pleased was was always there. So uh, my husband and I had a long distance relationship. I would come every other Friday. When he didn't, on his non-custodial weekends, I would stay. That whole weekend would be, you know, kid-free. And then Monday, his children would be here with me. Tuesday and Wednesday, we would be, you know, fine. And then Thursday, I would go home when his kids came back for the following Thursday, which would be their custodial weekend, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I was going home. So they they had to deal with me, but not really. And they could pretty much pretend that I wasn't a permanent fixture. Right. Yeah. It's, it, it is easy for us to forget that these are kids, like you said, and what they're going through to us is all about us. It's I'm moving into this house that used to be the ex's house. I'm having to readjust. I'm having to you know, try to figure out how to deal with these kids. And so we get so wrapped up in our own personal issues and struggles that we forget, hey, these kids are struggling and that their dad is struggling too. Absolutely. He's maybe even, maybe most of all, uh, I don't know. It's it's hard to even say most of all, but I think, um, now I think the kids struggle most of all because they don't, they don't have a lot of, of uh, power. Right. And while as a stepmother, you don't feel like you have power, you really do. You're grown up and you're in a relationship with someone that you have chosen. And on this person is now being forced on the children. And it is it is so, so hard. I was not always this wonderfully sensitive to that. I wish I had been. I was much more, much more needy and much more involved in what I was going through. But looking back, uh, it, it does really, really break my heart to think of how much change these young people had to deal with in such a short period of time at a time when the focus really should have been on them and their adolescence and their, their you know, what we would consider little problems, but with that were real problems for them. Nobody got to deal with that because their parents are going through divorce and their parents are both, you know, depressed and, you know, dating and just, um, it's it's overwhelming if you think about it. Yeah. And then too, we have to remember that David likes to say that he felt stuck in the middle, you know, with the kids and me and the in-laws, but the kids are also stuck in the middle between the bio mom and the bio dad. It's very rare that a couple separates and does not say anything negative about the other person. Right. And the kids hear I, that. That's absolutely loyalty binds are just they are they can be just so deadly. You, I, I, I think that um, I didn't have it too bad because I didn't know what was going on. My step, I'm a very open kind of person. I'm a fight it out kind of person when there are issues. Let's talk it out. Let's fight it out. My husband is not that way. My husband uh, is, first of all, he just has the sweetest disposition and he really doesn't like 
any kind of controversy, doesn't like any kind of confrontation. And his children are, are even more that way. And they play everything very close to the vest. And they're very, very secretive and very private. So I didn't know a lot of this was going on. But um, of course it is. Of course it is. They have their parents who, even if they're trying to get along, they divorced. No matter how you know friendly a, a situation is, you're talking about two people who have pledged to have a life together and to stay together forever, and they decided that they're going to move out and go their separate ways. How can the children not feel in the middle? And then, of course, if you have people not being so self-aware and not being so nice about it, they're saying mean things Mm -hmm. Uh, to give the best spin. Maybe subconsciously they're saying mean things about the other parent, but often it's not even that. It's just, um, it's, 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 they're in a powder keg all the time. Right. And then they feel like, I know with one of my stepkids, I was on the phone with him. He was going somewhere um, with his grandmother on, of course, his mom's side. And when we got a phone, he said, I love you. I said, I love you too. And of course, he caught so much crap about that. Like, you can't tell her you love her. And I mean, like, really, they reamed him over the coals for that. And it's sad. That is so sad. And we don't always see that. We sometimes, all we see is, oh, that, you know, where these, this, I was, I, well, I shouldn't say we, but I know speaking for myself, I was very needy. I was coming from a space, I mean, in, in, in a way it was good because I had never been divorced and I didn't have all of that kind of baggage and I didn't have my own children to worry about. But in another way, I had lost my husband, you know, he, he had passed away. So I was so much looking for a family and a new beginning. And I had these ridiculous expectations. And it it didn't even occur to me the pressure I was putting on these people to, um, to, to fill these needs in me. And at what cost, if you're talking about, you know, like you said, if, 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 them saying something positive about me at their mom's house is going to cause some kind of a problem. Um, It's just, um, there's just so much going on that we don't see. It's like walking in to the middle of a movie, only looking, you know, and it's a split screen and we only look at one side of the screen and then we walk out before it ends. You have no idea the the whole, you know, the context. Mm-hmm. You just have no idea. And that's what we're, that's what we're doing as stepmothers. We, we, we see these kids at most, you know, 50% of the time. If you see them all the time, I'm sure that has its own problems, but at least you, you have a, a stable household and you're there all the time and you see what's going on. You don't have them at all. They're grown or you just don't have, you know, your, your spouse doesn't have custody. That's something else. But most of us have somewhere between every other weekend and 50% of the time. We don't have any clue what goes on the rest of the time. Right. And it's hard to bond during that time. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, when the kids go back and forth, it's a proven fact that they need time to adjust for the transition. You figure if some of these people are doing like three days on, four days, then three, four, whatever they're doing, and the kids never get settled into the home, either home, really, because they're just back and forth so much. And then they don't have the opportunity to bond with the step parent, even in the slightest way, because they're only there, you know, 50% of the time, like you said. 
Right. I think once again, I think that as step parents, we sometimes get very competitive with our stepchildren and you turn around and you say, oh, look at how entitled these kids are. Look at how lucky they are. They have two houses. They have, you know, two big screen TVs and two Xboxes and two uh, closets full of clothing. And if you think about it, I don't know anyone. I, I have a lot of I have a lot of friends in the entertainment business and, and a lot of them travel a lot. And none of them say, Oh, yippee, I have a hundred homes. They say I feel homeless. They don't have two homes. They feel like they have no home. They're not settled anywhere. And then that's only logistically, that's not even bringing into it the different rules at different places, different expectations at different places. And then Within each home, you have the expectation and the security that you're trying to get from your parent, and then you have your step-parent coming in with all their preconceived notions and point of view and the things that they want. So, I, I, again, it's, it's not amazing to me that blending is hard. It's amazing to me that we ever get to a place of peace. Right. I want to talk about something and get your opinion on it. I see in the Facebook group, um, for those that don't know, Sylvia is very active in our Facebook group, which I'm very thankful for because um, she gives really good advice and she understands nachoing, unlike a lot of the people in the group. Well, (laughs) when I see things like my house, my rules, it makes me mad because it's like, does your husband not live with you? Is that not his house too? Right. I don't know. Um, and I, I, you know, we, we, we picked out one phrase. So please, anyone who's ever used that phrase, you know, don't, don't hate Lori and don't hate me. We're, we're going to pick on that, but let's, let, let's go with that, that my, my house, my rules. Have any of you ever been in a relationship before? Have any of you had to make any kind of compromise before? Mm-hmm. Have any of you ever lived with other people before? Lived with a roommate? Lived with parents? Lived with siblings? Lived with random strangers it's of course it's your home and of course you should feel good there but it's these other people's home too and if you have the feeling that you have some dictator who is going to just arbitrarily make these ridiculous rules and let's face it as step parents no matter how reasonable we think our rules are they're not the rules that were in place before we moved in right so what are these kids supposed to do? I, that, is, that is not nacho at all. That is not even a, a good way to have a relationship, my house, my rule. That's, that's great. If you're a caveman and you've got your little cave that's only big enough for one person and you need to say my house, my rules, my space, my rules, because there are predators out there who are going to kill me, that's one thing. But if you're a person living in civilized society and you want to have any kind of positive interaction with other human beings, it has to, on some level, be our home, our role. Yes, as an adult, you're going to have more of an impact on the rules than a child. But if the children have no impact, no say in what goes on, and no feeling that these rules are made with them in mind and are are reasonable, then you can't be surprised when they just say, great, you keep your house, you keep your rules, and I'm going to go do my own thing because you're not my mom. Right. And then I think, how would these ladies feel if they moved into the man's house and all of a sudden they hear my house, my rules? 
Well, how how are you ever going to feel like even a blended family? Let's set aside the kids for a minute. How are you even going to feel like a couple when it's my house, my rules? You're starting that segregation straight off the bat. Right. I, I the, the, Just, again, a really insightful point, Lori. I, I think that um, I cringe sometimes when I read some of these threads with these minor, minor problems and people coming out with, oh, no, 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 I, I can't not show that. That's a, that's a deal breaker. That's a deal breaker. Um, I don't, I'm not going to tell other people how many deal breakers you can have, but I'm going to give you a rule of thumb. I've been married for 11 years. I've been with my husband for about 15 years now. I have put my foot down twice. And um, I think that was a lot. I felt like that was a lot. Um, I might have to put my foot down another time and say, listen, you know, this is a non-negotiable for me. My way or the highway on this one. This is a battlefield I'm willing to die on. Um, When I see people dropping the my house, my rules in response to these kids eat junk food and I don't believe in junk food or, you know, these kids drink pop and I only believe in drinking water. That, that shouldn't be one of your two or three, maybe four non-negotiables that you set down in the course of a marriage. I don't know. I'm, again, I'm not surprised when they say that more second marriages fail than first marriages. And a lot of first marriages fail. I'm not surprised. I'm surprised that anybody who says, my house, my rules, stays married for more than a week and a half. <laughs> it, it sounds very strident and very judgmental, but... Uh, probably because it's strident and judgmental. But if you want to be married, uh, being married is, is there, there was an old, um, commercial for the Peace Corps. And the, um, the, the, the saying was, uh, the Peace Corps, it's the hardest job you'll ever love. And I, I feel that way about marriage. I think it's the hardest relationship you'll ever love. Um, relationships are really hard. Marriages are really hard, but you have to, you have to give and take and you have to, you have to be loving and you have to compromise and you have to know what's important. Um, so many, and then, like you said, that, then you bring in, you know, you, you're talking about a, a marriage, it's hard enough. A second marriage, that much harder. And then you're bringing in these other humans mm-hmm. who didn't choose you and you didn't choose them and you're bringing them in and they're going to impact the marriage. So it's it's not amazing that so many blended families don't blend so well. It's amazing that anyone ever does. Right. And it's sad. Um, I think a lot of the problem is the blended families go in with the expectations like you had or like even I had. We thought they were realistic expectations, but you will never be a nuclear family. Never. Right. And and again, for me, well, I think especially, I you know, I don't know because I've never not been me, but uh, <laughs> I, came, I, I had never had children. So for me, I actually, you know, some people say, oh, I never wanted to date a man with children, but I did it. And now I'm sorry. For me, it was kind of the opposite. I just said, oh, isn't this great? I met this person. I have a second chance at love. Uh, my first husband um, died young. He was in his thirties and he died young. And I, I have the second chance at love. I have a, a whole second chapter in my life, and I get to take the road not taken. Here are these lovely human beings who are going to be my children. I, even saying those words now, I, I just, 
I cringe at my own naivete and, and ridiculous selfishness. These children had parents. They had two loving, wonderful parents. They weren't looking for another one. And I was looking to, you know, fill all the empty spaces in my heart and take that road not taken. And I wasn't thinking of what they needed. And what they needed was the polar opposite of, you know, another mother. Right. Exactly. You know, one thing that David and I talk about a lot is we don't even like the term stepmom because the word mom comes with a lot of responsibility and a lot of expectations. And for a stepmom, those expectations are very unrealistic at times. And, you know, you see people go, well, you should love them like your own. And we've talked about this before. (sighs) My son, my stepson's would be distraught to think that their parents love somebody else's kid as much as them. You know, um, I didn't marry young the first time. And, you know, so it's not like I, you know, left home at 17 and got married. I, I, I was already a grown woman and, you know, was not living with my parents when I got married the first time. And I remember the first event that I was at where my parents were there with my in-laws And uh, I turned around to my mother-in-law and I said, mom. And my mother said, yes. And then she realized that I was talking to my mother-in-law. She got a look on her face (laughs) that if looks could kill because I was calling someone else mom. Now, this is within the space of two intact nuclear families that there was no bad feeling. My mother and I were not estranged. My mother and I were very close. I was calling someone else mom. I think back to that look of horror on my mother's face sometimes. And um, I just, I love what you just said. Maybe we can start a campaign to come up with another word. People object to the word step. Mm-hmm. I think we should keep the step and get rid of the mom part. Maybe call it uh, step. Aunt Light or uh, <laughs> Step Role Model-ish because to even use the word mom is so misleading and comes with so much uh, baggage and expectation uh, of how you're going to feel, of how they should feel towards you, and it's just not good for anyone. I think we should come up with a whole different word for it. Um, I like that. I really like that idea. Yeah, well, you, David and I are going to have to work on that and see if what we can come up with. I'm sure it'll be interesting. Yeah, and when you do, we'll, yeah, we'll try and publicize it and, and we'll, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll get that going there because uh, mother is ridiculous. Having mother, and I know a lot of people are enamored of the term bonus mom. I think that's even worse than stepmom because that makes it sound like you're something that the kids wanted mm-hmm. and you're not, you know, maybe booby prize or something <laughs> because it's just not it, it's not and I'm not trying to be self-effacing here I have a very high opinion of myself and I believe I would like to believe that I'm a positive influence on all the people you know whose orbit I touch at least I hope so that's my goal and I would include my my stepchildren in that but it's not an easy relationship it's not just by nature of the fact that you live with them some portion of the time and they didn't choose you and you don't love them the way you love your own. There is no way that you can ever unconditionally love someone who isn't yours. 
there's just, you can't do it if you didn't. And you said something um, about your biological children would probably feel so hurt and so um, threatened to feel that you all of a sudden just had this random person who, oh, yes, now I love them like my own. And if, heaven forbid, I split up with my husband, then they're gone from my life. And then someone else will come along and I'll love his children the way I love my own. That's not the way it works. No, it's not. Not at all. And David has a different relationship with my son than I did with his kids because Jackson was so young when we got married. There's a big difference, you know, and also there's a big difference in age as to how it impacts the blend. But also men don't seem to struggle as much as the women with the blending with the stepkids. I know that as well. Uh, I'm not really sure why, but uh, I think it has to do with what we were talking about. Um, Women, it's a mixed bag. We have a lot of power and we have a lot of influence over the home, but we also have a crazy amount of expectations placed on us by society, whereas men really just have to show up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what I think's funny is it's okay for the stepkids to hate the stepmom. In fact, it's expected. It's the norm, you know, but for us, if we say, I don't like my stepkid, oh my gosh, you are, you know, going to be burned at the stake. It's and you can turn around and say, what kind of a person are you? Yeah, yeah. You can turn around and say, my kid's a brat and that's okay. But if you say my stepkid's a brat, oh Lord, that's a whole different ball game. Yeah. I, I don't know what that is. I don't know if that's that we're trying. So we're railing so hard against the expectation of the evil stepmom that we think we're not allowed to like them or dislike them. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you straight up. Um, I, I, I don't feel this way now because they're all adults and they're really quite delightful adults. So I hope somebody who out there struggling finds a little bit of uh, maybe hope in that. Uh, my stepchildren are, they just have turned into delightful human beings, very successful, very, very delightful. But there were times when I really disliked one of them and um, she didn't care much for me either. And had we been any other two people on the planet, it would have been fine for me to say, oh, I don't like her. You can even say you don't like, like you said, you you can say you don't like your own sister, your own mother, your own, uh, you know, almost any other human being. I don't like my boss. We just don't get along. We're like oil and water. But to say you don't like one of your, your husband's children, it just paints you as this horrible, horrible person. Now, let's face it. How easy is it to like somebody or even to avoid disliking someone who doesn't like you? Why should I say, oh, yes, well, you know, my my stepdaughter can't stand me, but I just think, you know, she's just the sunshine of my life. That's ridiculous. Nobody (laughs) is that altruistic. I, I mean, you know, you don't, somebody doesn't like you. They're constantly... Um, arguing with you and making fun of you and rolling their eyes and whatever it is they do, being disrespectful. Um, you're supposed to love them? That's absurd. I, I think that would trivialize when we actually do get to a place, and Nacho can get you to this place, where you get to a place where you say, wow, I really enjoy their company. This is really delightful. Had I been saying that all along when they were treating me like garbage, um, I think it would trivialize when you actually do get to that point and that, that feeling of um, pride and gratitude 
when you can get to a space where you say, I'm not your parent. I don't want to be your parent. You don't want me to be your parent. But we have a relationship and we um, we belong in each other's lives for good. Not, you know, not just because we have a random person in common. Right. And I find it interesting, too, a lot of times we'll see in the groups where the stepkids are just having normal kid behavior. And like you said before, that the um, comments are, well, I would leave. Right. I would leave my significant other if their kid acted that way. No, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. Would you leave your own life if your child acted that way? Right. Well, you know, newsflash, kids act that way. You know, um, look at an intact family and look at a child who I, I don't know any, I have a lot of friends and they all have children and I don't know anyone who hasn't been told, I hate you. And I'm talking about intact families. Mm -hmm. I'm not talking about, you know, step families. Um, That's a healthy part of growing up is that you rebel. A healthy part of growing up is when your children don't want to go on vacation with you and don't want to spend time with you and don't want to listen to you because you're so foolish and you don't know anything and you don't understand anything. Now you bring into it the step parent aspect of it. And like you said, there, there seems to me, and I don't mean to be hard on my sister stepmoms because it's a very hard job and it is a thankless job unless you're fortunate like I am and you have a husband who does thank you and does express gratitude. Um, many people do not. And there's a lot of bad feelings and there's a lot of raw feelings, a lot of, of emotion right there on the surface that people are constantly being triggered on both ends. You're triggering your stepchildren. They're triggering you back. Mm-hmm. So um, you really just have to realize how much of this problem is me, how much of this problem is this situation, and how much of this problem is just normal. If you look at, you know, you, you said it before when I gave you the ages of, of my stepchildren when I met them. If you start talking about how disrespectful this person is being, and then you say, oh, and she's 15, <laughs> most of us who've had anything to do with a 15-year-old will say, oh, right, okay, yeah, that's normal. That's normal for 15. Right. But when you're the stepmom, if you're going to rush to, well, maybe we should get a divorce. Maybe I shouldn't be here. Um, that's just absurd. That's like, maybe I should divorce my husband because he throws his socks on the floor. There are a million solutions to throwing your socks on the floor before you get to divorce. And there are a million solutions to a 15 year old acting 15, other than you making a drastic decision that you're going to regret about a relationship that doesn't even involve the 15 year old. Right. One of the things that David and I tell people in the academy when they first start is you can't throw around the word, I'm going to leave, let's get divorced. You can't do that. You can't be all in and trying to make things better when you've got one foot out the door. Right, right. I think I, I, I always use the, the parallel. Um, how much of a career trajectory would you expect to have if once a week you said to your boss, Maybe I'll quit. <laughs> now, a, a job is much more replaceable than a marriage. And yet, 
that's something you just don't say. You can be looking for another job before you even let slip to your boss that you might leave. That's not something that you do if you want your boss to continue to value you and feel comfortable giving you projects. This is a work relationship that you could replace. How much more so with your partner? Uh, You know, you can say a lot of things. You can say, I can't talk to you right now. I need some time by myself. You can say, this is a real problem. We need to go to counseling. You can say, we need to work this out. You can say, I'm mad at you. I don't even want to look at you right now. Mm -hmm. But once you say the word divorce that's out there, it's just, it's life changing. And okay, you'll slip. You say it once. Again, it's like the the non-negotiables. You say it once and somebody, you know, smacks him into reality because he realizes that what he's done is so heinous that he can't do that again. That's Mm -hmm. it. Then you tuck that away again and you never mention it again. Or if it's ever said to you, maybe we shouldn't even be together. You know, you have to say to your, your, your significant other that don't say that to me. Do you know how hurtful that is? Do you know how insecure that makes me about our relationship, about our love? I have to get up every morning lying next to this person and starting the day, um, yes, I'm an autonomous human being, but I'm starting the day as part of a couple. I have to feel like this other person is all in and they have to be all in even if we had a fight last night, even if we had a really bad fight last night. Once you start throwing divorce around and if you've been divorced and you throw it around, how much more so? Um, I think that's terrible. That's one of One of my pet peeves is the way people throw around the idea of breaking up the most significant relationship that you will have with another adult. Well, it's the easy way. It's the easy way to deal with the issues at hand. It's the easy way to stop the fussing and all that mess. But what many of these people tend to forget is the probability of you ending up in another blended relationship is extremely high, extremely high. Of course. And if you weren't, what would you, I mean, um, my first husband passed away. Um, I had, um, I, I dated a little bit before I met my husband and I really only had one other significant relationship in between. And he was a lovely gentleman, but he was, a man in his 40s who had never been married and never had children. Um, The alternative to being in a blended situation would carry its own tremendous baggage and and challenges. I, you know, I don't know that I'd want that. So yeah, if you're going to walk out, unless you say you're going to go live in a cave, and then you can say back to our you know, my house, my rules, if you're going to live in a cave all by yourself, that's fine. But most of us don't want to do that. Right. One of the things that I see that really bothers me is when the people are in relationships and they talk poorly to their significant other. I know um, this bothers you too because I've seen comments. Yes. <laughs> but I, I've got a friend that's um, it's really interesting. She is um, extremely vocal with her unpleasantness of this person. And so they call each other names when they're not even fighting, it's almost um, just natural. Instead of saying, honey, they say something else, you know, that's not really nice. And I'm just not like that. If David ever called me something like that, 
you know, I would probably be in a discussion board and people telling me to leave because <laughs> it's just, I, I don't get that. And it's not, I mean, it's not hard to be kind to people. It's easier to give up and be mean to somebody than it is to work on something. And we all know that anything good does not come easy. I think that there's a feeling that uh, people have, uh, I don't even think this is a conscious feeling, but I, there's a feeling that people have that um, you're entitled to something. And because um, I see this a lot, I see this sort of, oh, you deserve better than that. You deserve better than that. Um, you deserve whatever you want to get. But once you make a commitment to someone, whether it's a marriage, uh, you know, living together, uh, you know, exclusive dating, you know, whatever it is, you've made that commitment. At that point, you have to be all in and you have to, well, I guess you don't have to, as we just said, but it makes so much more sense to see yourself as part of the same team. And when people are disrespectful to each other in front of children, in front of friends, in front of their own family of origin, it just, it, it, it just is so uh, inconsistent. It's so inconsistent with the idea of trying to build a loving, intimate relationship. Yeah. I didn't like living alone. I didn't like being alone. I didn't like, yeah, there, there, were, there were advantages to it. But I didn't like it. I always wanted to be part of something. I always wanted to. I always, I always love having a best girlfriend. I love being part of a group. I love being, I love the message boards. I love, you know, all my little groups, all my, I love my book club. You know, most of all, I love being married. I love the idea that I always have someone in my corner, that when I make a ridiculous mistake, and it's my mistake and the consequences that are going to come at me are all because of something really foolish that I did. And the whole world is going to say, I told you so. I'm going to have one person who's going to make excuses uh -huh. for me or who's going to say, you'll be able to fix it. You'll be all right. It's not so bad. Or if it really is that bad and if I really can't fix it, he'll say, we'll work it out. And there's no way to have that if you're being rude to and about this person in front of other people. It's just, it's something I will never get. There are things people do that I understand. That's something I will never understand. I don't understand why you would want to be with somebody who you don't love and respect and admire and want to build up and want to help and want to support. Yes. Now, I do want to talk about something that um, comes up in our Facebook group, too. They'll say, can I nacho my husband? <laughs> and this is something you and I don't necessarily agree on. So I definitely want to sure. talk about this because you're like, no, you never nacho someone that you care about or that um, I forget exactly how you put it. But you're like, no, 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 no. And I'm like, oh, yes, you can. <laughs> <laughs> it's what makes us great. And it's what makes the things that we agree about so much stronger that we, you know, we, we agree to disagree on this one. So, um, okay, uh, I, I do, um, I've, I've come around a little bit because I, I a, a little bit get where you're coming from. M my initial reaction is no, you don't nacho. Because when I, before I even knew the 
brilliant and, and funny term, nacho, uh, I used to use the term disengaging or stepping back. And um, I use it um, not just with my stepchildren, but with um, my husband's siblings, with uh, people I don't necessarily see eye to eye with, and people I have to be around, but I'm not intimate with. So it's a way of me regaining my power in situations that I can't work through the way I work through my intimate relationships. Um, so I step back. I step back emotionally. And sometimes I step back logistically and I just say, oh, I'm not, I'm going to nacho laundry or I'm going to nacho uh, discipline or something like that. So my attitude was you can't nacho, you can't step back in a relationship that by its very nature is stepping up all the time. I would never step back from my husband because I would never choose as a way to resolve a problem, I'm going to disengage. I'm going to emotionally distance myself. And that was my take on it. Um, I think uh, your position is different. And why don't you say your position rather than me saying what I think it is? (laughs) And then I'll I'll tell you how how you've changed me. Yeah. Well, um, David, I love him with every bit of my heart, but he can drive me bat crap crazy sometimes. So when he's like that, just um, like if he's picking constantly, which he does, and I'm just not in the mood for it, I will. I'll quote, quote, nacho him. I'll go in the bedroom and I'll start watching TV or I'll go sit outside. I just avoid the interaction because I know it's not going to end well with him being in a picking mood and me not. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a lot of times, for instance, um, he likes to get on this little rampage about cleaning sometimes and he'll go through and start throwing stuff away. Well, he only throws my stuff away, not his. So I will be like, Nope, I'm about to nacho you. No, I'll tell him. I'll be like, I'm dude, I'm about to nacho you. You about to have to get out of the house because (laughs) I just, there, there needs to be some kind of distance, you know, but also, you know, I've learned to quote, quote, nacho Walmart. I don't, um, I don't deal with things that I don't have to that are stressful for me. So, you know, if David's picking and I'm not in the mood and I know it's going to end bad, I just, I I disengage. I walk away and he knows why I'm doing it. He's not stupid. But it's not, um, you know, not that I don't love him or anything like that because I still love him. He's just aggravating me at that time. (laughs) Well, I think that, um, you know, and you express that very well um, and in less words than I use. (laughs) For <laughs> my point of view, but I, how you've changed me is I think that, um, and you, you just expressed it very well just there. Um, first of all, my space, you know, go full circle to where I started. I'm in a little bit of a different space than some people. I'm not trying to fix any, I've never had a bad marriage. I've had, you know, two marriages and they've been amazing. So I have a lot of other problems in my life. I have a lot of other relationships that haven't worked out, but I've never had a bad marriage. I've never had to fix that. I've never had to learn how to do anything differently in a marriage. Um, so I'm in a little bit of a different space. And then having been in a marriage that was wonderful, that ended very abruptly, not of my choosing, I'm so overwhelmingly grateful for the amazing opportunity to be with someone else that the kinds of things that probably drove me crazy about my first husband, 
because I'm not a perfect human being, probably the exact same thing or maybe even worse things would have driven me crazy. Now they don't bother me just because I come from a different point of view. So there's that. But more than that, um, the way you just expressed the way you view nacho, it's different than nachoing, uh, let's say, a stepchild, because that's what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. When you nacho behavior, a, a kind of behavior, you know what? My stepchildren eat differently than I eat, and it just drives me crazy. So I'm just going to nacho mealtime. I'm just going to nacho. I'm going to either eat by myself or I'm going to make my own meal. They can make their own meals, and I'm just going to nacho it. That's a very clean, not emotional uh, behavior. Or, or situation that you're nachoing. When I think of nacho, when someone says, can I nacho my husband? I usually think of it, um, the emotional component. And that's something that I would be very, very careful to never nacho and to never avoid or sweep under the rug something that is going to maybe make peace in the short term, but that is going to um, wear away at our intimacy. So if, if I'm talking about the kind of thing that you're talking about, if my husband is doing something that in the moment is bothering me, I can choose to ignore it and I can choose to walk away or nacho that particular behavior in that moment. But if that is something, if he's being annoying about something that's a real issue, eventually we're going to circle back and deal with that issue. And we're going to deal with it in a way that doesn't involve one of us saying, I'm just going to nacho it. It involves strategizing and coming together and pounding out like, you know, the Versailles Treaty or the Paris Peace Talks or the Camp David Accord. Um, the, the interim period might be contentious, but ultimately we're going to come to a resolution that's going to be acceptable to both of us and that, that isn't going to involve either one of us having to just, you know, um, emotionally roll our eyes and and walk away. I don't think you're talking about ever doing that. I think you're talking about a behavior in the moment that you could allow yourself to get upset about that you choose to not show instead. Right, exactly. And and I am on board with that. And I will actually, you have changed my, my view so much that I will actually try to change my language when we're talking about this to better incorporate the, the piece that, that I've learned that, that could be very valuable. But for me, the difference is if I'm not showing my stepchildren, if I'm not showing them, or if I'm not showing a behavior, my goal is very personal and very selfish. My goal in not showing my stepchildren is so that they don't drive me crazy and so that I can regain and retain my power. Right. If that results in me being less intimate with them, so be it. If that results, and God has been good to me, uh, and, you know, the universe has been good to me, and that has not been the case, I have a working relationship with all three of my stepchildren, and it's fine, but had I not worked out that way, and had we just been people who were just distant and civil and polite to each other and never got beyond that, that would have been okay with me, because we're not people who chose each other, we're people who were thrown together. My right. husband is a whole nother ballgame. I never want there to be anything that, that wears away at our intimacy, that makes him feel less uh, close to me, less willing to, you know, to tell me everything and to be his person in his corner when he's just made the most 
ridiculous, awful, you know, mistake that he ever thought he could make. He needs to know that there's going to be a safe space for him. And that um, even if we're mad at each other or we disagree, we're going to work through that. Now, one of the steps of working through that might be nacho, but it's never going, that's never going to be an end. Whereas every other human being on the planet who I at any time nacho, I could end up not having a relationship with them. Right. And, you know, too, um, one of the things that we try really hard to um, get through people's heads in the Facebook group is not to forget that the goal of nachoing is to re-engage with the stepkids in a better role. Not a parental role, but one of a fun aunt or something like that. And right. that, and that nachoing is not being mean to these kids or snotty to them or um, being passive aggressive with your behavior. That's not it. It is stepping back sometimes more emotionally than physically because of the situation. Uh, some stay-at-home moms are unable to step back physically as much, but they can still step back emotionally and care take care of more of like a nanny role and have the dad's support with house rules and consequences. Not dad's rules, not stepmom's rules, but house rules. And when dad leaves, he says, hey, um, while I'm gone, I've asked wonderful stepmom Lori here to be in charge and enforce these rules. So if there's an issue, right. she's going to handle it. And I expect you to treat her properly. Now, I was just going to say, and ultimately get to a point where you don't even need that intermediary that um, the kids know, even if they're not crazy about you, even if not, you, they're not the person they would have chosen to, to be involved, that you are there and you do have a, a point. I think that's a great point. The idea of what is the goal here? The goal of nachoing is not to go on strike to get my way. It's not, I'm going to not do laundry. So the laundry will pile up. So the house will reek. So everyone will come crawling to me because I'm the only person who can put detergent in a machine and, and get, you know, magically make clothes clean. That is not the goal. The goal of Nacho is not to get your way. It's not to force your spouse to parent the way you want them to. And it's not to passive aggressively wield your power, whether that's financial power or, you know, physical power uh, over your stepchildren. The goal is to get to a space and this space will vary, you know, for different people. For some of us, it will be a nice adult to adult kind of relationship where we share some things. We'll once in a while something will will strike you about something, and you know you'll you'll text your stepchild and say, "Hey, this made me think of you," or you'll just have a a nice, warm, uh, you know, relationship of some sort, less than a parent, more than random annoying stranger. And for some of us, you know, it will be more. For some of us, it will be less. But but the goal of Nacho is not to win. It's to get to a space that's working better than what you're currently doing that's not working. And I think that, that it's really important to keep saying that, Lori. And I think it's, it's wonderful that you knew that straight up. Um, some of us didn't. When I started disengaging, I didn't know what my goal was. I just knew that I wasn't happy 
you know, where I was and I wasn't happy with the way my stepchildren were treating me and the way I was feeling about it. So I just started emotionally distancing. And then fortunately, I kind of stumbled upon the things that you're talking about, which is why it's so wonderful now that people going through this, people with young stepchildren, people in young relationships, they don't have to find it by trial and error. They can just find the academy and, and, and you know, get, get some, some expert advice there. So right. yeah, to keep the goal in mind. Yeah. And even if your goal is not to re-engage with the stepkids because you don't really care if you re-engage with them or not, then that's okay. But sure. the other goal, or I don't know if we want to say the ultimate goal, is learning to let go of things you don't have control over and learning to control your reactions to them because that really is where the power is. It's not a weakness to not respond to somebody else's crap. It's a strength. Sure. I, I think that's something that, again, I think people really, uh, my mother was great at this. My mom uh, of blessed memory used to always say when I would start going off on one of my rants, I'm going to tell off this person or I'm going to, you know, whatever I was going to do, my, my big plans. She'd say, oh, okay, what's your goal? What do you mean what's my goal? I'm just going to do it. It feels good. You always have to have a goal. And I think that um, your goal, yeah, the goals might be different. Your goal, or you might not even know what your goal is, or you might end up with a goal that, you might end up with a result that wasn't even your goal. But your goal can't be that you're going to manipulate someone else's behavior, or you're going to win. Your goal has to be something that is within your control. That is, uh, I'm going to let go of all these things that are bugging me. I'm going to stop being unhappy in my own home. I'm going to stop feeling powerless. I'm going to start having more joy in my life. Because, again, as, as you and I have talked about a little bit offline, um, you get to a certain age and you've lost people. And you've lost people who you really, really love. And you've lost people who you can't imagine going through the rest of your life without hearing that person's voice. And you've lost jobs and you've lost, you've had things that you really, really wanted that you didn't get. There is a lot of disappointment and hurt and grief that we, you know, come up against in the course of living our lives. Let's not make more of that. Yes, exactly. And two, I was sitting here thinking um, when we were talking about the goals of nachoing, the goal is to save your relationship with your significant yes. other. And then the ultimate goal is to re-engage with the stepkids. But during the nachoing method and the process, you become more self-aware. You become more diligent in your thought process or more um, direct in your thinking, I guess. And there's so much more to it than just stepping back. Nachoing is not just disengaging and the heck with everything else. It's trying to improve yourself, not that you're the problem, but you are a part of the issue. Absolutely. And I think, you know, you've touched on something else that's one of uh, something that people really need to keep in mind. What nacho is not. Because it's a catchy phrase, you know, nacho, not your kids, not your problem, not your responsibility, um, not your job to parent. I think that because it's so catchy, People sometimes even lose sight of what it really means. And they'll say things like, how do I nacho my, you know, somebody beating my kid? How do I nacho a bully? There are things that you're not supposed to nacho. 
nacho doesn't mean I'm going to ignore this and it's not going to bother me. You know, how do I nacho injustice? You don't nacho injustice. You Mm -hmm. fight injustice and you find a way to live in the world that's going to, you know, make you more joyful, make you a more righteous person, make you feel better about, you know, the world being a better place when you leave because we're all going to have to leave one day. And uh, I, I think that people have a real misconception that they're going to one day say, oh, uh, I can't parent my stepchildren the way I would want to parent them. So I'm going to start ignoring them. And then nothing they do is going to bother me. And that's so silly because it, first of all, you know, as you pointed out, it ignores any kind of a future that you even hope to have going forward of having, being a role model, being a mentor, being someone these, you know, people can come to or can just, you know, chit chat with. You don't have to have even an intimate relationship, but you want to have a nice relationship with them. You want to, at the very least, be able to sit in a room with your stepchildren when they come to visit, you know, their father. How many people, their their answer, I'm going to nacho. So every single time my stepchildren come for their visitation, I'm going to go, you know, get a pedicure or I'm going to leave the house. Now, again, the way we were talking about nachoing, you know, nachoing your husband, there are times that, you know, leaving the house might be the best thing you can do for everyone. If you, if, if things are ratcheted up so high and there is so much tension and things are not going well, maybe removing yourself physically from the situation is great for everyone. Let your kids have some one-on-one, let your, your stepkids have some one-on-one time with their parent and you go off and recharge your batteries. Great. But as a strategy, as a strategy for, a loving marriage and any kind of a workable blended family leaving all the time is not going to work. And even less than leaving all the time, being passive aggressive and, you know, ruining someone's possessions because they maybe broke something of yours or just being mean spirited and nasty. That's that. What kind of a life is that? Right. There are times where, the stepmom may need to leave because she's so sure. angry and resentful and literally despises these stepkids. Yes, but that is not going to continue to work. It's not something that should looked at be looked at as your resolution. It's a step in the process to where you need to find out a better way to handle things. And there's a, one thing that we talk about in the Academy too, the fives. I love the fives. One of them is... Five positives to one negative. Don't say anything negative unless you've deposited five positives. I like that. Then there's the is it going to the five by five rule? Is it going to matter in five minutes, five hours, five days, five months, five years? More than likely, no. So don't give it more than five seconds of your attention. And then the five second rule: when something is upsetting you or even a panic attack. Count backwards, five, four, three, two, one, and zero, and then refocus your mind on something else. Sometimes that requires walking into a different room. Sometimes it can be just picking up your phone and playing a silly game or flipping through Facebook. But there are ways to change your focus to where you're not just focusing on the breathing of the stepkid and how it annoys you. Right. So there's a lot of tools that we teach in the academy to help people figure out ways to either avoid the conflict or deal with it better. 
I think that's great. And I, I think another tool that we have at our disposal that we often forget that we have at our disposal, even though it's a tool that we expect everyone else to use, is a, a, an apology. Just because your stepchildren have annoyed you a lot doesn't mean that you are never going to do anything that's really unkind and that's really stupid, or maybe that was well-meaning, but that was taken wrong. And I think that For me, in my journey, one of the things that really turned around what was a pretty unpleasant relationship with one of my stepchildren in particular was my willingness to own when I just did something wrong. Hey, you know what? And you don't have to make a, it doesn't have to be a big dramatic thing and it doesn't have to be, you know, you have a family meeting and in front of it, just a simple, hey, you know what? And I I specifically remember it was a silly little thing, but um, I remember saying, um, she was talking about how someone had told her that she should be a doctor. And I said, oh, I, I think that's a bad idea. And she, you know, we, we continued with the conversation and afterwards, you know, I thought about it and I thought, I didn't mean it this way, but I bet she thinks that I think she's not smart enough to be a doctor. And that wasn't it at all. I was thinking, knowing this person the way I did, that the whole idea, the whole competition and the emphasis on science, where she's a really uh, much more, um, you know, creative and, and, you know, like out of the box kind of thinker, that medicine would not be a good choice for her. So the next time she came over, I actually apologized for that. And she smiled and she said, no, no, I knew what you meant. But you know what? She didn't. And she and that I felt I actually there are a a couple of times in my life that I really felt a switch. And that was a positive switch. I think me being willing to explain myself and to take back something that had come across as very negative, which I didn't mean that way, but that could have come across that way. And I also tend to be a little bit judgmental. And I think sometimes I give the impression that um, I think I'm so smart and I think other people aren't. And that's not at all the case. The older I get, the more I realize how much I have to learn and how brilliant and insightful other people are if I would just shut up long enough to listen to them. <laughs> so I think that one of the tools that I think we don't avail ourselves of is um, that willingness to um, admit our part in, in a conflict and admit when we're just flat out wrong. And I mm-hmm. think that um, people appreciate that. Oh, definitely. And I have no issues with telling somebody I'm wrong. And I've never with stepkids, even if I was upset and I kind of snapped at them. Once I calmed down, I would go back and say, look, I'm sorry that I snapped at you. I've had a bad day at work or something like that. And one thing that we have to remember, too, is don't start each day harboring yesterday's hurts. Oh, boy, that's a good one. Start each day with a clean slate. It's everybody deserves one. I think that that's one of the hardest things in life is not to hold on to all these past hurts and start uh, when it, one of my expressions that I use a lot on the boards is don't have conversations with people not in the room. Don't even have conversations that you've had already, you know, with the same people who are in the room just because something bad happened yesterday. Just because I reached out to you yesterday and you smacked my hand doesn't mean that we're never going to be able to have a good relationship or that we're never going to be able to get past that. And if you keep harping at it with the person or if you keep in your own mind just replaying that negative, 
you're never going to get past that. You're never going to get to another place. I know I don't want to be judged by every single mistake I've ever made. I don't want things held against me. So how can we hold it against um, our spouses, but even more so our stepchildren who are, you know, we'll say it again, their children. Right. Exactly. Exactly. It's very important to change your thinking and to really work toward having a positive mindset. And I'm not saying that it's easy, but we are so apt to think negatively. If we can break that habit, then it's harder for the negative to come in. I I think um, I'm going to um, try your little strategy there. Um, I think the idea of the, the five positives, I think that we can use that in so many areas. And I think if, if you have a negative thought in your head about how something's going to go, how about you allow that, you know, that negative thought to be there and just kind of wash over, but also force yourself to think of five positive ways that it could go. And maybe that will help temper it. Right. One of the challenges we have in the Academy is 28 days to change your thinking. And I remember one lady that had participated in it. She lived somewhere that was really cold. And she said, I think it's called the dog days or something like that. No, that's not right. It's um something to do with the reflection of the sun. It looks like there's two suns. Oh, I can't hmm. remember. But anyway, yeah. she said, I was driving to work and it's like negative 30. And, you know, I saw this beautiful sight. And she's like, oh, well, that's one of the good things about living where, somewhere where it's really cold. She's like, oh, my God, I had a positive thought. Because <laughs> <laughs> we're not used to that. You know, we're, we're, we're used to, especially as stepmoms, especially as, you know, the, the ones who are in charge of all the stuff that goes on in the house. And, you know, I do, I do everything. If I don't, you know, if I don't make appointments to get things fixed, they'll just never get fixed. And my husband will look at me and say, is that still broken? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, did you fix it? <laughs> did you call someone to fix it? You know, things are just going to magically happen. So I, I think that, you know, we get involved in the same mindset over and over and over again. And I think that um, you forget. You forget to to think positively and you forget to, to fill your mind with, with the things that you want to be there. Uh, we don't do it on purpose. Nobody wants to be unhappy, but it becomes a habit like anything else. So um, you're doing a good thing by having people be mindful of that. Yeah. And you have to, um, I know everybody's probably gonna get tired of me talking about this book, but, um, or this author, his name is Daniel Amen. And he talks about ants, automatic negative thinking. And he breaks them down into nine different types of ants that people have and how you can be an ant eater or you can allow the ants to infest your mind. And it's really interesting because like you said, we're not aware of it most of the time. And when we become diligent in our thinking, we're like, wait a minute, I have more negative thoughts than I do positive thoughts. And how can I turn this around to be positive, even though it might not be the best situation? I mean, God forbid, you can turn around anything and make it a positive if you try. It just takes a little bit of effort. And being more self-aware of your thoughts, your your focus isn't going to be on the stepkids doing something wrong if you're feeding your mind with positive things. You'll more likely to see what they're doing. Yeah, it might not be in a pleasant way, but it won't be in as critical of a way. I think I really like that 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 along with um, your you know five positives to each negative. I think that if we could train ourselves to do that, I think that if we could, um, you know, again, one of the um, switch turning moments uh, in my life was when I realized that 
some of the challenges that I was having with my stepchildren are just the fact that they're different than I am. They're not better. They're not worse. They're just different. And they're not necessarily people that I would have chosen to have in my life. And I'm not necessarily someone that they would have chosen. But there is so much about them that is so different than me that I could learn. Um, my stepchildren are fearless. They are, they are very, the three of them are very different and very, you know, in, in so many ways. But the one thing that they all have, they are fearless. They will say, you know, I'm going to try and it could be something actually, you know, physically challenging. I'm going to go skydiving or I'm going to go water skiing, even though I've never done it before. Or it could be something, you know, I'm going to walk into this, you know, I'm going to go to this party, even though I don't know anybody. And um, all three of them are fearless. I am as far from that as you can find, you know, a person. I just am not. I, I like, if I'm going to do anything, I have to be, you know, uber prepared for it and, you know, train for it and, and think about all the, every single possible thing that could go wrong and have a strategy. So, um, in, you know, something like that to just be able to sit back and say, wow, that, that's, that's a really cool thing. I wish I had a little more of that. I'm going to observe that. And that's something that is not at the core of one of the problems I was having with them. It was just sort of forcing myself rather than um, concentrating on negatives about them to concentrate on something that's just a wonderful characteristic. That's something I'm probably never going to have, but um, I'm going to just observe it. And I'm just going to see how that plays out in their, you know, what, in their conversations and in their, in the way they do things. And, and maybe even, you know, when I'm feeling a little bit more uh, confident, actually say that, hey, you know what I like about you? You know, you know what I like about you that is so different than me? And that's, yes. you know, yeah, you're putting yourself out there. It's a little scary, but um, it's good. It's, 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 a, it's a good thing. And I don't, I don't know if that's exactly dovetailing with what you were talking about, about thinking positive, but it's just making yourself stop thinking negatively and even for a while and just say, I'm just going to think about this positive thing. I'm just going to concentrate on the fact. And I, you know, I, I'm a little older than you. So I don't know if you've had this experience, but it goes in cycles with, you know, you'll have people um, who, you know, friends who, who all seem to be sick at the same time or lose parents or just have bad things happen to them. And every once in a while, it's just really, really nice to just sit back and say, I am so grateful. I'm so grateful that I have the physical health to be able to do what I want to do right now. I have a, you know, jam-packed schedule of, of things to do, and I'm just so grateful that I can do them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. You know, I've seen people that um, have been diagnosed with terminal illnesses that can still find something happy to think about or something positive. There's a guy, um, his name's Nick something another. Um, he has no arms and no legs. He was born that way. And mm -hmm. he's, he's a motivational speaker, Sylvia. It just amazes me. I actually think I know who you're talking about. I think I've actually heard him speak. He says he's got um, a chicken leg or a chicken drumstick for one of his legs. And, oh, he's funny, too. He's hilarious because um, the one I watched was him telling a kid he was at a school because he does a lot with bullying and stuff. And he told the kid, he's like, I'm going to throw this ball to you. It was a tennis ball. And he's like, go further back, go further back. And, you know, the, the crowd's like, wow, you know, he's going to throw it that far. And then the kid gets really far back. He's like, come closer, dude. I ain't got no hands. <laughs> <laughs> How many of us can do that, can make light of things that are 
so much less, you know, traumatic and life altering than that. And we, we are all so serious and we think our problems are so serious. And then you have someone with so many challenges who nobody could fault if he just went through life feeling sorry for himself and he doesn't. Yeah, I know. It's, it's amazing. So maybe, maybe I should post that video in the Facebook group. I think it's a great idea. And then just, you know, just, just throw a challenge out there to people, you know, how to, you know, watch this, you know, and watch it just to watch it. And then maybe watch it, you know, with an, you know, with the idea of what is my biggest challenge in life right now? Yeah. And how does that compare? (laughs) Yeah. He, um, his name is Nick and I'm not even going to try to pronounce his last name. It's V as in Victor, U-J-I-C-I-C. Yeah, so, I, I've definitely I've seen I've seen YouTube videos. Yeah. Of some of his lectures. I had forgotten until you brought it up. But it's it's a great lesson for us. It's a great lesson to be grateful and you know, if you have a um I don't like to talk about religion a lot only because we're all different and we all have our own thing and you don't wanna exclude anyone or make anyone feel left out, but I think it's really important whatever it is you believe to believe passionately whether it's, you know, in this life and the, you know, um, necessity of making a difference because it's all there is, or if you believe, you know, that there is a, a higher being and, you know, another, um, a greater purpose and, and a, you know, something that we're part of that's, that's bigger than this life and that's bigger than, than us as individuals. I think it's really just important to stay committed to that and to, to keep that in mind with all the little challenges that we face. And someone like this, um, you know, who just faces life and still can have a sense of humor, um, you know, come closer. I don't have any hands. I mean, that's just. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's hilarious. <laughs> and then it shows him like answering the phone and um, it, it's just funny. It's funny. Um, I laughed hysterically at it. So, and then it makes you think, you know what? I am very unappreciative. I should need to be thankful for every step I can take every time I can reach up in the cabinet you know, and a lot of times that's what we have to do is change our perspective on things. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, Sylvia, we need to wrap up. This is going to be the longest <laughs> podcast recording ever. <laughs> you can have to do a lot of editing, Miss Lori. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you so much again for doing this. And I appreciate it. And I appreciate everything you do in the Facebook group because you are such a blessing to many people. Oh, it's it's a privilege. It's really a privilege. If some of the experiences that I handled badly can turn into something positive for someone else, that's a blessing in my life. So thank you, Lori. Thank you for giving us this forum, and thank you for uh, thank you for having me on your show today. Sounds good, and I'm sure we'll talk to you again. I will look forward to that. All right, thanks. You and I talk about this a lot, and it's something that we mentioned with Sylvia, or that I mentioned with Sylvia, the name stepmom. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to start calling them step people. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, I don't like the whole mom part of it. Right. Because I think that's misleading. Well, actually, I'm fine with being my dad's wife. Yeah. Versus stepmom. Or Heidi. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, a lot of people get offended by the word step. That's why bonus mom came into play. Yeah, I don't like either one of them. I don't either. But we've got to think of something better. Step people. Step people. Is a step, but I'm still not there yet. I'm going to come up with a new name. Yeah, I I don't know where the whole name and convention came from, but I do believe that having the word mom in there, I don't care if it's stepmom, bonus mom, second mom, I don't care any of those things. 
it puts, and I know it works for some people, but it puts a lot of stress on a lot of people that it just does not work for because they feel like they now are in a motherly or mom role. Right. And you not your mama. <laughs> and they are not. They are not in that role. Mm-mm, no. and, and it causes problems when, especially for like the guys, because now the guys are thinking, okay, I'm marrying somebody that needs to be doing things that their mom was doing. Right. And and now you have the guy that's putting up expectations that are out of whack or, you know, they believe things the wrong way because they're everybody's walking into this thing going, let's make this look like a nuclear family. Right. And, which is exactly what we did, <laughs> which is exactly what got us in trouble. Which is exactly what almost made us divorced. Yes, because we were walking into this thing going, we're going to make this look like a nuclear family. And that's not what we were thinking as far as, you know, we didn't sit down and talk about it that way. We can just, we're just able to look back on it and realize that's what we did mm-hmm. by mistake. Mistake. M-I-S-T-A-K-E. <laughs> mistake. Yeah, like your son. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> he is not a mistake. He was a surprise. He was like an accident. David. Like when you're walking through the front <gasps> yard and you step in dog poo, that was an accident. Well, look at here. But it still stinks. <laughs> he don't stink. Most of the time. I don't think, I know I'm saying he stinks. I bet you when you got found out you were pregnant with him, you were like, that stinks. <laughs> <laughs> now, be nice. I don't want my kid to have issues because he wasn't planned like yours. Well, I didn't plan to have three at one time, so. Oh, so wait a minute. You had two mistakes in there? Uh, No. I oh, whoa, 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 whoa. You can't call my kid a mistake. Uh, he called himself a mistake. I disagree with him. <laughs> And then you said he was an accident. Okay, so two of your kids were an accident. Which two? Um, I'll let them pick. Doesn't matter. <laughs> One of them was on death row anyway, is what he says. <laughs> well, that's what the oldest said. Yeah. Yeah, we were talking about um, when David's wife, ex-wife, found out that she was pregnant with triplets. I guess sometime during the process, the doctor had told you that um, the sustainability of triplets is rare to basically it would be best to get rid terminate one of the pregnancies to give the other two a better chance and um so the oldest kid asked david said well which one was it that was like the most unhealthy and david told him and he's like dude you were on death row (laughs) yeah we do joke and we do cut up but my son was not a mistake he was a surprise he was an std (laughs) a Special something or another. No, you, you can't. Whatever you want to say. It's still an STD. He's not an STD. Uh, People aren't going to know what you're talking about, and then they're going to think we're bashing my kid. Oh, well, I guess I've come a long way then because I can bash your kid. <laughs> That's completely against rule number one of Nacho. You do it all the time. <laughs> but he likes it. Okay. Quick story. So those that don't know why David's calling my son an STD is... <laughs> um, uh, Ended the relationship with my son's father, went to the doctor to make sure I had not contracted some type of STD <laughs> from his extracurricular activities. And that is when I found out I was pregnant. Yep. So um, that's why David calls Jackson an STD. So I also call him J Funk. <laughs> and I do that lovingly. Yeah. <laughs> So if y'all see my kid in therapy in 20 years, blame David, not me. No, he he is um, he acts more like me, I think, than he does you. What was that you did the other day? You asked him a question, 
And he responded like you. <laughs> I don't know, but it just made me nauseous. I remember what it was. It was the whole, if you had one wish question. Oh, yeah. So I put on the Facebook page, <laughs> in the Facebook group, if you had one wish, what would it be? So people were listening to these things, you know, win the lottery, blah, blah, blah. And then David goes on there like he normally does and screws up my whole thing that I'm planning and says, unlimited wishes. <laughs> so we're sitting at the table and Jackson and David haven't discussed this as far as I know. Mm-hmm. And I haven't discussed it with Jackson. And I said, um, Jackson, if you could have one wish, what would it be? And he looked at me, he said, unlimited wishes. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> I was so proud. That was a proud stepdad moment. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, my. Oh, my. Oh, my. <laughs> yeah, there's many times he acts just like you, and I'm like, oh, Lord, have mercy. Yep. So, you know, that nurture nature thing, <laughs> pick one, because they both are relevant, if you ask me. <laughs> yeah, I give him a hard time, but you know what? I gave my own kids a hard time, and still do. So, I, if I didn't give him a hard time, then... They would think something's wrong. Yeah, that means I wouldn't love him at all. <laughs> Oh, so when you're trying to push my buttons, it's because you love me. Exactly. It's Bull like, crap. It's like, you know, when you're like a little teeny kid and you walk up to the girl and you pinch her or slap her and run off just because, you you know, you've seen little kids do it. You know, it's because, oh, but he likes you. That's why he's doing that. <laughs> yeah, I remember the little boy in kindergarten that was trying to kiss me and I punched him in the face. <laughs> I still remember his name. I won't say it because I don't want to embarrass him if he's still alive or something. <laughs> All yeah. right. So. That's it. Let's let's quit talking. These people are tired of hearing us today. Okay, let's go. Oh, and by the way, my son is a blessing. He's the best thing that ever happened to me, and he's awesome, and I love him with every bit of my heart. Yeah, he is a good kid. All right, and, let's stop there. <laughs> all right, let's go. All right, so I guess that's our show for today, and we'll be back next week with another Ooh. one. So see you then. Hasta la pasta. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Nacho Kids Podcast. Find us online at nachokids.com. Until next time, remember, life is good when you nacho.